0: Director here. I do a couple things for us here at Redemption Tempe. Uh, The first thing I do is I curate our art exhibitions that are in our lobby. So we have a ton of talented artists that are here and in our city. So I kind of uh, curate who is actually showing artwork in there. So if there's artwork in there that you hate. my apologies. I guess we can talk about it later. Um, I also, um, I oversee about 25 volunteer musicians who play in our bands here. Um, And these people, like I said, are volunteers. Uh, They're giving their time and their talents. I would encourage you, if you get a chance to seek these folks out after any Sunday, um, tell them how much you appreciate them. Tell, you, tell them how much you, uh, you love that they, that they do what they do. Um, they're doing it for free, and they're, they're serving us with their gifts. So uh, it would mean, mean a lot to me if you do that. Um, I also uh, am contractually obligated to let you know that ASU won. Um, yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's like the, the Duke like Devil Boys versus the Arizona Devil Boys, um, I know close to nothing about football, so it's <laughs> it's always fun for me um, working in an office full of guys who are uh, eating, breathing, living, sleeping football uh, this time of year. Because I just kind of hang in the back and just cross my arms and like sink down in my chair and mope around. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so. Uh, we are going to be uh, in Philippians 4. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand high. One of the ushers will give you uh, a Bible, copy of, a copy of one of our paperback Bibles. If you don't have this Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it home, read it, study it, mark it up, make it yours. Um, I'm going I'm to open this up with a quote from Soren Kierkegaard. He is a Danish philosopher, and I think he really nails it when he says, The Bible is very easy to understand. We Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. That makes you feel kind of dirty inside, doesn't it? It Makes me feel kind of gross. One of the reasons that we have a conviction to preach through books of the Bible here at Redemption is we believe that the full ministry of God is on display in the Word of God, and we want to preach verse by verse so that we don't miss anything. Um, It was really good for us to preach through the book of Romans and to just be given an insane amount of topics to be able to discuss through in community. A lot of you in your Redemption communities probably had some really good conversations about a variety of topics during our, our series in the book of Romans. So hopefully you're blessed by that. Um, like I said, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. I'm going to keep uh, the preaching pretty exegetical or critical today like we normally do. Um, before, we, um, before we do that, we're going to basically try to figure out today, what one, what this text is communicating, and two, what it tells us about contentment, about what it means to be content in life. Um, before we open God's word, let's pray together. Father God, you're the only reliable source of contentment and joy. God, we pray that you would speak to us today. God, use your word to show us right from wrong, to point us in the right direction, and to capture our imaginations for your word and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Hopefully some of you know or have a couple people in your life who are just flat out unstable. there are, there's always that one person in the office or that one neighbor or that one crazy uncle or whoever who is just completely unstable. Um, one of my favorite YouTube videos of all time that I, I hope is fake is, uh, is of an unstable worship leader. And he is, uh, he's on stage leading for this youth group and he's leading through a song and the drummer is just is not doing well. Just really having a hard time keeping time. You can tell he's just like sweating. And this worship leader just keeps looking back at him and just hits a breaking point. And into the microphone, he, he screams. He's like, do you guys even listen to the song? And just like demolishes his guitar, like acoustic guitar, just completely shattered on the ground and then storms out some double doors. There's like a bunch of 13-year-old girls who just gasp and it's like, it's equal parts horrible and amazing to watch. Um... <laughs> But one of the things that, uh, the, 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 the way that this connects to our text is that Paul is writing to a group of people who are a little bit unstable. Now, they're not um, in shambles like the church in Corinth was uh, for the most part, but he's writing to people who are largely f- theologically unstable. And one of, the, one of the big points that Paul hits on in this text is that um, the, the, the Christians in Philippi, the church in Philippi, they weren't able to give God their anxiety. They weren't able to trust God with their anxiety. Um, So let's begin begin in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. For many commentators, this is a theme verse for the book of Philippians. They see uh, Philippians as being a book that is distinct in its attitude. It it has a much more joyful tone and demeanor uh, than than some of Paul's other letters do. And this is interesting for us to consider. Paul was in in prison for several years at this point. Um, He had enough reasons to not be joyful, enough reasons just to be bummed out on life. But for whatever reason, Paul has his finger on something and he understands something about joy and contentment that makes his joy and his contentment impervious to his situation. Um, all of these things are happening to him in his life, and he still, through the face of all of that, is able to, to have this joy that completely supersedes whatever, whatever circumstance he's, he's currently in. So I think that this, this really has something to say for us. Um, one of the big presuppositions of this verse is that being joyful is not easy. Um, it's a counterintuitive act. Um, before we really kind of dig into that a little bit more, I want to ask the question, um, why does it seem impossible to rejoice sometimes? Why is, it, why is it impossible to just trust that God is who he says he is, to, that he's sovereign, that he's in control? Why can't we just give him things and just rest in that? Why is it so difficult for us uh, during so many seasons of our lives to just not trust God for who he is? Um, and I think one of the big questions that we, um, that that might, an- that might seek to answer that is the fact of our surroundings. So... Um, where we are, where we live. We live in the first world. One of, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite internet memes is called First World Problems, and some of you guys have encountered these. Here's one of them My engagement ring is so big, my hand doesn't fit into my winter gloves. I have to dress nice because all of my casual clothes are dirty. Oh no. The seats on my dad's private jet are so uncomfortable. Um, these are obviously not real problems, these are not real uh, crisis situations, but. Us churchgoers in the first world always come here and, and come here week after week after week to try to find some way to ease our anxiety, to, uh, to figure out how to minimize pain and suffering in our lives and, and one of the unfortunate truths in this passage and through all of scripture that God tells us is that there is no way for you to fully escape pain and suffering in this life. There's just not. Um, and as, as much of a drag as that is for us this morning, um, we see on that kind of the flip side and encouragement. Um, Christianity is distinct from other philosophies, in it's acknowledgment that pain has a function. Um, suffering is not an illusion. It's not useless. And for a lot of people, um, pain and suffering, the things that we go through, uh, are just too much for us to handle. We turn to things that medicate us. We turn to drugs, alcohol, pornography, TV, food. The list goes on of all these things that we we seek out for some kind of momentary reprieve from the things that we're going through and dealing with. One of my favorite authors is a guy named David Foster Wallace, and he says this. He says, the general allure of drugs is that they afford you the empty promise of being able to feel exactly as you want to feel for the exact amount of time that you want to feel it. In his book, Infinite Jest, he writes a lot about contentment and happiness in America and kind of what it means to live in a postmodern American context. And he, he's reminiscing in one scene uh, with a bunch of members from an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and he writes this. What Metro Boston AAs are trite but correct about is that both destiny's kisses and its dope slaps illustrate an individual person's basic personal powerlessness over the really meaningful events in his life. I.E., almost nothing important that ever happens to you happens because you engineer it. Destiny has no beeper. Destiny always leans trench-coated out of an alley with some sort of pst that usually that you usually can't even hear because you're in such a rush to or from something important you've tried to engineer. For us who are Christians in here, we see destiny in this, in this quote as being synonymous with God's general will. Um... In my, own, in my own battle with some of my own vices and, and my own uh, therapy and, and discipleship over the last couple of years, I've become really fascinated with uh, people who come out of addictions, people who have, who have recovered from addictions and, and what their perspective on life really looks like. And one of the, one of the guys who has, who has gone through a lot in his life is a guy named John Zoll. He wrote a book called Grace and Addiction. And in, his, in this book, he, he recounts his experience being a pastor. Um, and having this alcohol addiction, going through the shameful process of having to go through Alcoholics Anonymous, of having to give up um, a ton, and then sort of coming back to the church with a bunch of lessons that he had learned from Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it's, it's an amazing book if you ever get a chance to read it. One of the things that he does is he unpacks the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to look at the first two here. The first, the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous is we admitted we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. The first step is the recognition that our faculties are insufficient to surmount the internal and external obstacles that we encounter in a fallen world. The brilliant insight at the core of AA's theology is this. A person finds real hope by being directed away from false hope. And this is really what repentance looks like for us as Christians, isn't it? We we so often find ourselves on a track and believing one thing that is gonna give us hope, that's gonna give us joy, and just going after that full force. For some of us, on a daily basis, what we have to do is repent of, of the course of the trajectory that our hearts want to go on, turning back to God and running to him, um, of seeing where our, where our true joy and where our true contentment really comes from. The second, uh, second step of the 12 steps is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This has some of the same ideas as as our passage today. The ability to rejoice comes from God and not from within. The ability to rejoice or to have joy or have contentment does not come from within, but it comes from God. In verse five, Paul goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is where I hit a brick wall with this verse every time I read it. Um, it's preposterous to me that Paul would insinuate that I should not be anxious about anything. I'm, I'm anxious about like 85 things before I get out of bed in the morning. Um, the, the interesting part of this though and the unfortunate truth um, is that when life gets heavy and when, when we're going through various situations, tr- various trials and tribulations, it's so difficult for us um, to ask for help from anyone, let alone from God. It's, it's difficult for us to, uh, to bring God our worries, to bring God our anxieties. For so many of us, if you're anything like me, what you try to do is come up with some plan, some kind of contingency, some kind of, here's where I'm going wrong, here's what I need to fix, I'll just do it, I'll just fix it, I'll, just, I'll do that and then I won't be anxious anymore. Um, but the fact of the matter is, um, when we do lose trust in God like this, when we, uh, when we forget who he is, when we forget to see him as he is, we begin to ask ourselves really, Serious questions. We begin to ask questions like, is he really good? Does he really care about me? Is he even there? And these are, these are heavy and valid questions, and I hope that you feel uh, like Redemption Tempe is a place where you can come and ask those questions week in and week out. We want to be a place that facilitates uh, people who don't have all of the answers. Um, I want us to be able to, to look at this text and, and, and be able to see what Paul's suggesting as a way out of these dilemmas in our lives. Um, it seems, it seems to me that at least in, in, verse, uh, in verse six here, what Paul is communicating to us is that we should pray all the time about everything always. Pray all the time about everything always. When you're afraid, when you're happy, when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're ashamed, when you don't feel like praying, pray all the time about everything always. If we believe God is the source of all contentment, then prayer is our vehicle to access that contentment. What keeps us from that? What keeps keeps us from going to God when we're afraid, when we're anxious? Do you guys ever think about the fact that we live in a country with a media machine that's run on our fear? You guys aren't as dark as me, cool. Um, (laughs) I sometimes think about cable news and just how um, infuriating it is. Uh, I brought this slide to show us. Ebola, the ISIS of biological agents, um, and then just to be fair and balanced, I brought a quote from Fox News here as well. Um, what are the chances that illegal immigrants will come over our poorest southern border with Ebola or that terrorists will purposely send someone here using Ebola as a bioterror weapon? This is like fear trifecta. Um, and it's, it's messed up that our world is so broken that someone can make a living off of our fear. Um, one of the most gangster things that I've ever heard Jim Mullins say um, was that our was that our last our last first Wednesday. It was seriously like like everyone's like oh, um, but he uh, he said <coughs> it was uh, the the question was just about our fear and about being fearful. And the thing that he said was um, it's important for us to remember who's profiting off of our fear. And then he just like dropped the mic, Chris Rock style, and like walked off stage or something. Um, <laughs> But, but it is. It's, we live in a, in a scary world that's, that's broken. There are lots of things that happen that are completely outside of our control. Um, what we need to remember and what the Bible tells us and what we have a hard time clas- grasping onto when things are rough is that God is in control and we're not. That's really uncomfortable for a lot of us. Uh, we are not as in control as we think we are. We have this, we have this illusion, especially here in America, where we we think we have control. We think we are able to, to push out the forces of darkness by our sheer will, but we just can't. We can't stop outbreaks. We can't stop terrorism. We can't, we can't do these things. We don't have the level of power that we think we do. Um, and, it's, and it's a scary place. I think one of, the, one of the, the people in Scripture who really understands this is Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes when he says, good days and bad days are the work of God. Every single one of us in here can have our life be completely derailed by a single text message right now. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That we're that fragile that we can have a single text change our reality. The truth of the matter is that God is in control and that we just aren't. Christianity is neither exemption from pain nor, nor freedom from heartache. What God promises us in this lifetime is nearness. He's a God who gives us himself. If you have needs, let God know about them. He's faithful. He hears you. He un- he, well, the one thing that Paul seems to understand in all the things that he endured in his life as he's shipwrecked and beaten and persecuted and imprisoned and all these things, the one thing that he really seems to understand is that God is his only real reliable source of joy or contentment in life. There's no other status. There's no other arrival point. There is no other emotion or anything. There's, there is no thing in this world that will ever give you, that will ever reliably give you contentment or joy like God. What if instead of trying to come up with a better resolution this year, we just tried to to live and appreciate God's grace more? If we just sat in it. We didn't try to do more things. We didn't try to accomplish things. We didn't try to work our way out of our anxiety more. But we just saw God for who he was and sought his face on a daily basis. If we stopped trying to make the perfect plan and just rested in his grace. You know what's unbelievable? I shouldn't say unbelievable. You know what's amazing about God's grace? It's done. It's a done deal. It's finished. It's once for all. So many of us come in here, and, and myself included, we come in here week after week, and we labor as if it's not done. We labor as if God is just sitting there like an, like an angry father waiting for us to get our act together. He's not. The jury's out. It's done. His grace is a done deal. If all of our resolutions fall flat by January 2nd, he will love us as much that day as he loves us right now. That's just True. This is the freedom that we experience in Christ. And the biggest promise that we see in this passage comes from verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I was 13 years old, I gave my life to Christ at a summer camp. And from that point on, until about my junior year of high school, um, I was your stereotypical Jesus freak. So, like listening to Christian punk rock music, wearing the Christian t-shirts, like I was, I was unbearable at times. Um, I brought this little treat to share with you guys. Boom! Um, yeah, that's, um, that is, uh, that's, that's picture day, freshman year. Um, my shirt, my shirt says God, worldwide deliverance. Um, yeah, pretty unbelievable. Um, one of the things that my, that my church buddies and I always like to do is poke fun at Christian culture. And one of the things we always made fun of was this translation of the Bible called The Message Remixed. And it was basically uh, this guy Eugene Peterson writing a, trans- a translation of the Bible for like hip angsty 12 year olds. So we would always like, we would always uh, joke about it and like open, our, open up The Message Remix and be like, and then Jesus was like, yo Thomas what up, why you got a doubt though? Like just in, like, in the text. and. Um, the way, <laughs> the, way that this, the way that my like, poking fun at that has been like, redeemed as of late is I've really, really enjoyed Eugene Peterson's translation, The Message, the one that's written for adults, um, and, and the way that he's able to kind of boil down um, concepts and give things to us in our vernacular, and this is, this is his translation of uh, 4-7. He's, he writes, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. What's the plain truth in this verse? Jesus Christ is the source of your joy and your contentment. He's the only source of your joy and your contentment. You know what's hard to hear about that? I'm not in control of my joy and contentment. You're not in control of your joy and contentment. That's, that's bad news for us. We want to be able to control it. We want to be able to have some kind of scientific method, some, something that we can run through uh, to be able to be ultimately in control of our own suffering or our own pain. But we can't do that. We hate that. We want plans. We want checklists. We want resolutions. The fact of the matter is that God controls the peace in your life, and you don't. Disciples of Christ are men and women who seek that peace from him every day. And we're going to screw up. We're gonna have days or weeks or months where we don't think about him, we don't seek his face, we forget about who he is, what he's done for us. And I hope that, again, that you find Redemption Tempe to be a place where, or to be a group of people who, who see that it's okay to not have everything figured out. Ricardo's a good dude, good friend of mine, he does not have everything figured out. Tim Anderson, super old, um, still doesn't have it figured out. <laughs> Just had to poke fun at him. Um, the one thing that, that disciples of Christ, that guys like Ricardo and Tim are able to understand from time to time, is that in order to have a relationship with God, you have to know God. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you know what he's like? Do you know what he's done for you? Do you know how he feels about you? We talk about the gospel a lot here at Redemption Tempe, and, and for us, a lot of the time it can be boiled down into this statement that God did in Jesus what sinners could not do for themselves. And in so doing, secured for us all of the forgiveness, belonging, contentment, joy that we would never have apart from him. I want to encourage you that if you don't know this God, um, press into a relationship with him. A lot of us come here thinking that we are somehow initiating a relationship with God, not realizing that God has already initiated a relationship with us. Um, Take time today when we're going to respond. Take time to pray. Pray. Take time to bring your anxiety to him. Whatever things are plaguing you right now, pray to God. Come up here and receive prayer from the men and women that will be up here. I want to encourage you to do that. Let's see this morning, let's see into 2015 that, that God is the only source of our joy. He's the only source of our contentment and that he hears our prayers so we should pray to him always about everything. Let's pray. Father God, it's been an amazing year. thank you for what you've done in this church, what you've done in our lives. God, we pray that you would continue to move here, to work here, to change us and shape us into the image of your son. God, we pray that we would be people who would seek you first, who wouldn't try to make better plans, God, but that we would try to trust you more. We try to bring you more. We try to let your peace be our peace. God, we pray that in our moments of weakness and our moments of anxiety and our moments of fear, that you would comfort us. God, we thank you for the ways that you're moving, the ways that you're shaping us. We pray a blessing over 2015. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.